You are now tuned in to Poppy Chulo Radio, your web portal for the best in pop culture news and interviews. Because the first step to a new beginning is imagining that one is even possible. The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to Storybrooke. Because the first step to a new beginning is imagining that one is even possible. Welcome to Storybrooke Weekly Mirror in Hyperion Heights, the unofficial Once Upon a Time podcast, a poppychuloradio.com original series, Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, March 26th. 2018, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the ABC series, Once Upon a Time. Please welcome my co-hosts, Heather Bishop. What's up, guys? Jenna Pace. Hi, everybody. And Vinnie Hatcher. Hey, guys. Let's jump into our recap of Season 7, Episode 14, which was titled, The Girl in the Tower, and aired March 23rd, 2018, here's the official synopsis of the episode. Rogers works to prove Tilly's innocence in the case of the blind baker's death, while Ivy attempts to make amends with Anastasia, and Samdi makes a revealing confession to Ronnie. Meanwhile, in a faraway realm, Alice forms an unbreakable bond. Let's check in on the ratings for Season 7, Episode 14. The episode was viewed by 2.3 million total viewers with a .4 in the demo. It ticked down on both counts, and it tied its demo low. I want to get everyone's initial reaction to the episode. Let's see. Vinny, what did you think of this episode? What's your initial reaction? Loved it, actually. I really enjoyed this episode. I think it was a really nice backstory. Uh, interspersed with some things going on that were a little bit uh, suspenseful in the modern day. So yeah, I think this was a really solid one. Heather, what about you? I loved it. I was super impressed from start to beginning, and I actually found myself excited and suspenseful. It was very suspenseful, and I I haven't felt that way about the show in a while, so I I loved it. It was great. What about you, Jenna Pace? Are you going to make it three for three? I love it so, so much. Yeah, it's three for three. Oh my god, it was fabulous. Can y'all tell? Jenna's excited. I'm just saying. Oh, really? I had no idea. I thought she was depressed. I know, right? (laughs) And I guess I'll make it four for four. I thought it was a decent episode. I really liked it. I liked everything that I saw in the flashback. And for the most part, in the present day stuff, everything was really, really good. So uh, before we get into a thorough recap of the latest episode of Once Upon a Time, here's our announcer with a few special announcements. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula radio podcasters discussing some of your favorite television shows.
Visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts for a complete list of all the podcasts that we produce. You will get up-to-date information on whether the podcast is currently releasing new episodes or if it's on hiatus. You will also be able to click a link to either take you to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or the Poppy Chula Radio archives to download the podcast. To binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasts, visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts. Would you like to be one of the podcasters on this podcast discussing your favorite television show? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. We are always looking for new voices to add to our collection of podcasts. To become a co-host you must be at least 18 years old. You must be comfortable sharing your opinions. And you must be comfortable using Skype. There's no podcast experience required. So if you think you have what it takes to be a Poppy Chula Radio on-air personality, email talent at poppychularadio.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This is a Poppy Chula Radio special announcement. PoppyChuloRadio.com is currently looking to expand its web presence, and we're looking for your help. If you're a fan of Poppy Chulo Radio and its signature series, please visit GoFundMe.com slash Radio and help us with our campaign. Every dollar amount donated will be improving the Poppy Chulo Radio experience and making it more interactive and user-friendly. We thank you in advance for your support. This has been a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. We now return you to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks, announcer. All right, let's get into it. And you know what we do at the start? A quick shout-out to the opening title card, which featured the Trolls statue. And uh, let's start off in the past. So we flash back to uh, Alice, a, a more grown-up Alice than we've seen, stuck in the tower, making a birthday wish with all of her plushy friends uh, around her in her you know, little tea party, birthday cake celebration, when all of a sudden a troll appears and uh, you know, rips the roof off the tower and uh, helps her escape her tower prison. So years later, Alice, you know, still out and about, you know, and still uh, loving her father from afar because, you know, she's got the whole Curse of the Poisoned Heart situation going on. She is caught observing her father from afar by Robin, who uh, thinks she's a threat, and uh, a chase ensues. Alice gets caught and uh, she gets into a conversation with Robin. So, you know, they exchange information. They're like, oh, you're the one from the tower, Tower Girl, and Nook, and Nobbin, and all this kind of stuff. So, uh, Heather, what did you think of the opening sequence with Alice on her birthday? And uh, I'll ask you that, and I'll leave the question about uh, Robin and uh, Alice to someone else. So, what did you think of the opening with Alice and uh, the troll on her birthday. Okay, that was probably my favorite scene from the entire episode. I loved it. I loved how um, Wonderlandisk it was. It was she nails Alice so so well, and she does. I, I mean, she 
she can like uh, last episode. Um, she Tilly got on my nerves a little bit too. I think we all agreed on that. And then to turn around on this episode and see her in the tower acting like young Alice, it was amazing. It was fantastic, and she is my favorite portrayal that I have seen so far of Alice. I loved how she was sitting and talking to the Mad Hatter, which was just you know a random top path that she had, and. I would when whenever it opened up on that scene, I was like, "This is going to be a good episode." I can tell. I was a little bit um, uh, freaked out, is a kind of a good word, I guess, about the troll when he first showed up, and I didn't really um, understand where they were going with that. But as it progressed throughout the episode, I actually found that I really enjoyed that just as much as I enjoyed everything else. So it was it really impressed me this particular scene. Jenna Pace, I saved uh, this question for you. Tell me about your opinion, your thoughts on Alice and Nobbin, their meet-cutes. Because obviously we know that in the future they end up uh, developing a relationship, so we get to see their meet-cute in this episode. What did you think of their meet-cute? Oh, well, thank you for giving me this question, for one. Um, I was looking forward to this uh, to how the, their origin story, from the moment that we first saw them kiss and interact, both um, both individually and together in the Enchanted Forest back in the mid-season finale. And, oh my god, this was so worth the wait. I love that there's kind of a mix of emotions with the, with the two of them. They're not unfriendly. They're very direct with each other. They communicate. There's there Yeah, there's not this weird odd misunderstanding it's they're very direct there's a kindness to them there's this like very basic understanding but then there's also this they're challenging each other they're pushing each other's buttons alice is like why would you want to be cool and robin's well she traps alice it's funny it's it's not flirty exactly but you but like you get it's like hmm it's that early sense of coming together. It's kind of like you can imagine them later on telling stories to friends and friends and such about how they met. And there are these jokes. It's just really cool. I love the nicknames that they come up with each other. It feels their whole dynamic feels very natural. Rose and Tierra have this instant chemistry. It's, it's delightful it works, it plays off of tragedy, it plays off of inexperience, and it just comes together so fa- fantastically, and they and how it's built upon later in the episode, it's just wonderful. So this is just the perfect starting point for what grows throughout the rest of this flashback. Vinny, what did you think of the characterization of Robin? We've gotten a little bit of Robin in the past, but this time we got sort of like an info dump about Robin and her life in Storybrooke, as well as uh, what she feels she should stand for, especially because of her lineage. What did you think of the interpretation of Robin in this uh, flashback? So I think here what we're looking at is an actual coming of age, but not fully. Uh, I really enjoyed it, actually, because I think what they definitely touched on is the fact that she's got her mother's stubbornness. 
you know, she has this perseverance that when she sees something that she wants, she'll go for it and she'll go after it. Uh, you know, she does have a little bit of her father in her as well for, you know, we have the beguiling with the uh, the wily ways of the lockpick and the, the hair... Uh, Burnett barrette that she uses. I couldn't think of the word for a second. Uh, and kind of like the sarcastic sense of carefree humor that her father had. But also from her mother, we also get that sense of like pompousness at a point where, you know, like when she is coming off, like she knows what she's doing. She needs to go kill this monster no matter what. And the kind of inability to listen to or a lack of a desire to listen to reason. So her mother's obstinacy is mixed in with the desire to make a name for herself. So I thought it was a really interesting transition from the Robin that we saw back in Regina's crypt. Uh, you know, someone who has definitely made a, a, a lot of steps towards being a better person and not being as selfish, but is continually learning that there's still a long way to go. And I think that really, really works well in the dynamic with Alice. I really like that. A lot of really great points from the three of you. I like it. So, continuing on with the story, Alice is set free, and we hear the grumblings, the rumblings and whatnot of, uh, the, of, of you know, an ogre, a giant, this, that, or the other, and uh, Rodman explains that this is a creature that she has been tracking because this is what she's supposed to do. But Alice is like, no, that's my friend. Like, I recognize those sounds. Like, you can't hurt him. You know, he's good. And so Alice is hellbent on stopping this uh, giant that has basically stomped through uh, the countryside, basically. And so they head on off to a nearby village, and uh, Robin had thought she had lost Alice, but Alice caught up, and they enter a tavern, and it turns out that the villagers are ready to uh, fight the beast. But once they hear that Alice is pro the troll, they end up locking both of them up, and uh, they share a really nice moment in uh, the jail cell. Heather, what did you think of that moment between Robin and Alice in the jail cell? I actually really lo- like, I- I'm going to have so much trouble saying bad things about this episode or saying anything negative because I loved it. So you're going to hear that a lot. Um, I-, I enjoy that this is this relationship that they're developing between the two of them. It- a lot of like what Jenna said on that, it's not, it's not an instant you know, chemistry between the two of them. It's something that's developing slowly. We know where it's going to end up, but it's not something that they're going to spend one episode on. This is the relationship. Go. I I really enjoyed that moment in the jail cell. And I love how Robin um, talks about Storybrooke and how she hated it so much because it was just this quaint little town that she couldn't get out of. And, just the parallel that that ran to with Alice being stuck in the tower for so many years and how very different their two stories are and yet how very similar they are to where to the point that they can have this really nice little connection between the two of them. I loved it. I, I was I was enamored the entire time. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Heather. It's what you said and what Jenna said, I'm 100% on board with because we saw something sort of similar Uh, a couple of episodes ago with Tiana and Naveen. Like, we didn't see 
an epic love story over the course of a flashback uh, in one episode. We sort of saw their meet cute, and what I said in that episode was the fact that uh, I liked that we didn't see their romance like immediately. It wasn't love at first sight and that kind of thing. And I kind of feel like we're going to see their romance actually develop in Hyperion Heights versus them getting all romantical in uh, the flashbacks. And, uh, you know, comparing this type of love story as well as, you know, with another love story that we saw uh, a couple of seasons ago, it feels like it was a couple of seasons ago, it'd be funny if it was last season, uh, Ruby Slippers. That was, was so season five. That was season five. Right? Okay, so it was a couple seasons ago. That was so rushed. Like it was in like uh it, it was like zero to a billion over the course of the flashbacks. And I I know that that got a lot of flack online because it, it just felt like they had to answer the calls for an LGBT romance on Once Upon a Time. And so, because, I guess, you know, maybe they only had room for one episode to explore it, it was an immensely, like, fast-forwarded relationship, which was a bit unfortunate to see. At least in this one, you know, we've already seen that they are in a relationship. So now we're sort of, like, getting to know, uh, you know, how they uh, became a couple, which was really nice to see. I, th I thought it was very appropriate. Uh, I'm sort of jumping ahead for a moment, but I'm using this to sort of make my point. I like that they didn't kiss. I like that there was like sort of like the tease of maybe something becoming into a kiss, but they didn't. And I was like, you know what? It wasn't necessarily needed. Like, I feel like their chemistry was almost enough in um, the entire flashback and even, you know, throughout the rest, to be quite honest. Vinny, what about I, you? I definitely agree. Uh, I think that it was nice to see a relationship that just didn't magically, like, you know, poof, there they are. You know, here we, here we suddenly have this amazing connection. Love at first sight, soul to soul. You know, we actually had some dislike that didn't go the polar opposite in the same episode. Obviously, there's still some growth that they're going to have to do together to continue the relationship but what we left off at is the beginning of obviously them being open to something together and going on an experience together and i really enjoyed the fact that it wasn't you know zero you know from zero to hate to all of a sudden to oh my god i can't live without you they both came from a similar background that allowed them to connect with each other but there's also qualities in either of them you know alice is definitely that like naive and more kind of like trusting to an extent of you know most people around her in the sense of her naivety like she doesn't know not to trust everybody and you know just speak her mind openly like she did in the tavern and you've got robin who was a little bit more worldly and spoiled coming out of that spoiled shell and just seeing the two have the chemistry that they had i think it's a really nice first step towards the relationship we saw in the earlier episode where it was a flash forward yeah, I totally agree. So continuing on with the story, when they're in the cell, they open up about each other's lives, and uh, Robin even shows Alice some photos and stuff from Storybrooke on her phone, including the uh, swan bug that we all love. That was great to see in the pictures. And uh, we learn that Robin, she, you know, acquired several traits from her father, including uh, being able to pick herself out of uh, the chains that she was in. 
She does not free Alice, though, because she feels that she needs to go and she needs to uh, hunt down this troll in her, you know, to honor her father's legacy. And so the villagers are searching for the troll out in the woods and Robin shows up and basically states who she is and that she is going to take the troll down. Alice ends up freeing herself as well and she goes to save the troll and uh, you know she even knocks Robin down as she's ready to shoot an arrow to the troll and uh, at the end of it all you know because the villagers are so insufferable Robin ends up uh, protecting Alice from the villagers and from the bullying crowd and uh, it looks like the villagers are about to uh, either put them in jail or kill them for allowing the troll to um, get away when all of a sudden Alice uses some magic to summon Emma's yellow bug which allows them to escape from uh, the torch-wielding villagers and uh, it takes them to uh, the tower in which Alice was trapped in and Alice admits that uh, you know there are parts of you know parts of her that that really want to go back to the tower you know and she hates that part of her that wants to go back to the tower you know especially since she's free now and uh, they end up realizing that the troll it's actually a part of Alice. The troll ends up destroying the tower, and uh, it seems like Alice unintentionally created the troll to free herself. And Alice, you know, remembers that she did wish for freedom or, or the troll or, or whatever on her birthday, and then the troll appeared. And so Alice basically talks to the troll, lets the troll know that she's okay now and that uh, she basically doesn't need the troll anymore and so the troll ends up turning into stone it actually ends up turning into stone as, as, along with um, the uh, yellow bug and uh, yeah so that's pretty much the end of uh, this storyline in the past jenna what did you think of uh, the usage of the troll in the episode. Did you see this coming? Did you at all have like a little inkling that uh, Alice created the troll? What did you think of the troll as well as uh, Alice's realization? Okay, well, to be honest, uh, I didn't think about the troll freeing her, like being the thing that freed her when I first saw it. Like, I thought it was a little out of left field. I didn't think like the idea that she created the troll. So when, and throughout the episode, Actually, on my second viewing, I kind of thought to myself, Hey, Alice, you know, I get that you like the troll and all that. He freed you, but for all these other people, he's destroyed their buildings and such. So maybe <laughs> it's like, yeah. But then as the episode kind of made it clear that the troll is a fur, the troll is a, a representation of Alice as a whole. He's kind of that allegory for Alice, like people not understanding her just kind of taken to almost this extreme, then it made more sense, and it made for a very beautiful metaphor. Um, I also want to say, I just love Rose's performance in this in these specific scenes, because this is hard material to work with, having to 
having to convey this both love and hatred of a childhood home, this fear of moving on, this and this later in acceptance and just how she delivers it, especially her when she talks to the troll. I love how when she's saying how she finally feels and she even kind of takes a stop and comments on just what a beautiful world this is. Her acting in this episode took me away. I I like I don't cry a lot at Once Upon a Time. I love this show, but I don't cry at it. But um, Rose Reynolds' performances from the from the scene after they got away to the end of the episode, every scene she was in brought me to like got me teary, which says a lot about her performance. I just want to take that moment to talk about Rose Reynolds as an actress because she's young, she's inex, she's well, not inexperienced, but we don't know a lot of work she's been in. At least I don't. And she's coming. She's she's going up against a lot of veteran actors, especially in this series as a whole. And in this, in these moments, she not only holds her own; she kind of, in some ways, exceeds them. It's fantastic, really. And I love this this coming together of her story and I love the pay, the emotional payoff of Robin helping her after she helped Robin. I wanted to make this point a little bit earlier but I wasn't able to. I noticed the evening that I watched the episode that there was a, a comparison to another Disney movie that I kind of saw. Aladdin whereas uh, with the with the Aladdin and Jasmine's love story how Aladdin is a pauper and Jasmine is a princess, and yet they fo- both are able to—they're both able to feel trapped. Robin felt trapped by her quaintness, whereas Alice was well, quite literally trapped. And I—and it made me really appreciate their love story more because they're kind of exchanging these views on how a person can be trapped and how they come together to free each other. They free each other of expectations. They free each other of their chilling pasts. And I think that that is so incredible. I I don't hate Ruby Slippers. I think that it's kind of a very overhated ship. Was it a little rushed? Yes. But I think that it's no more rushed than a lot of other one-off ships on the show. Like Aladdin and Jasmine, Ariel and Eric, and so forth. Ships that didn't get a lot of development and Ruby Slippers, I get I get a lot of it comes from the fact that they had true love, but I feel like sometimes they're a little overhated. But undeniably in this brief in like these this this flashback, um Alice and Robin prove themselves to be the better love story. And as and as part of the LGBTQ community, I am really happy to see that we're getting such good representation and yeah that's what i've got to say so let's move into present day hyperion heights usa and uh, you know what let's talk about that teeny tiny scene that uh unfortunately in the press release it made it sound like it was going to be a whole lot more ivy but it was just a teeny tiny scene so i'm going to assume that because of time 
they probably chopped some more of uh, Ivy stuff from the episode because we only saw her in one scene. And in that scene, very early on into the episode, basically Ivy and Henry are together. They're drinking some hot chocolate. And uh, Henry is basically talking to Ivy about uh, Anastasia making amends, apologizing, and that kind of thing. And Ivy is very um, hesitant and worried about all that kind of stuff. And uh, so she ends up deciding to go out on her own and to basically confront Anastasia and to apologize and to try to make amends for everything that has happened. And uh, we get a really nice moment in which Ivy, in sort of self-reflection, apologizes to Henry. Obviously, Henry has no idea what she's apologizing about, but we all know what she's apologizing about. And she gives him a very sincere, heartfelt apology about everything that she's done. And she even says something like, I wish that I would have met you before I became who I am because, uh, you know, it might have led me to, to a different path. So, Vinny, you've been a champion of Ivy. You love you some Adelaide. What did you think of this scene with Ivy? And uh, are you digging her redemptive path so far? Do you feel like it's rushing? Do you feel like it's going too slow? Or do you feel like it's going, you know, as Goldilocks would say, just right? I think it's going on an appropriate path, given the downfall and the massive fallout from Victoria's death. You know, you have someone who all of her life was heading like full steam ahead, you know, train off out of control down the tracks towards this destination of hatred and revenge. All of a sudden, the track was completely changed and she's heading in a different route. I think Ivy is definitely benefiting from having these people around her. It's kind of an interesting turnaround you know in the beginning she hated these people she was jealous of them she had these horrible feelings to them and she you know helped get this curse set up that was meant to take them away from who they were and what they were and now she's finding herself benefiting from doing exactly that having them you know around her and being these shadows of themselves where the truth of who they are shows through, it's kind of reflecting and resonating to her just what she was trying to swallow, or sorry, uh, what she was trying to smush down and what she was trying to eradicate. You know, she's seeing the actual benefits of, you know, letting herself be open to not only the affection of others, but affection for herself and how to get to a place where she can love herself. Uh, so I think this was really, really well done. I think that she's on the right path. I was a little confused because the synopsis made it kind of sound like we were going to see an interaction with her and Anastasia in this episode, which we did not. Uh, but I think, again, that, that goes back with the character that Adelaide is playing. She needed to have, you know, that other second time with Henry to kind of further reinforce the decision that she's making to try and fix things. So I, I, I think we're seeing someone who is hesitant, but definitely wanting to make the right steps and do the right things. But that old fear of lack of acceptance and that fear of failure is still in there. And I think that's shown through a lot as well in her hesitation and the way that she portrayed it. Let's get into the main storyline of Hyperion Heights. So, uh, all right, let's get into Tilly. So Tilly is uh, so, you know, 
she's flummoxed by everything that has been happening. You know, apparently, you know, it's been, you know, some time after the next day after what happened in the previous episode, and Rogers is trying to track Tilly down, and he is able to just before some other officers find her and, uh, you know, take her to jail, basically, uh, as an accused murderer. And uh, he ends up taking Tilly to Henry's. And he's basically like, you know, we need a place to stay because of this, that, or the other. We'll explain. And so uh, Rogers is very strong in his belief in Tilly. He believes 100% that she didn't uh, kill anybody. And so uh, they start asking her questions of like, where were you? What were you doing? You know, apparently the murder happened exactly at like 3.20. But uh, Rogers and Weaver didn't find her until like after 4. So where were you, Tilly, from 3 to 4? And uh, Tilly basically ends up remembering where she was. And she sends basically Henry and Rogers off to, um, you know, check out uh check that out and while she's there there's this really great moment in which tilly is sort of like looking around uh henry's apartment and uh, she ends up picking up the book on robin hood and she's about to read it but then she finds a little sticker on the bottom of her shoe that places her at um the grocery store and so she's like oh i remember and so she heads on back to the grocery store and it turns out everywhere that she goes, no one remembers her. Like, no one knows her. Like, and uh, Tilly feels like she knows everybody in the Heights. But apparently nobody pays attention to her or no one has taken the time to get to know her. There's a great line from the lady at the fruit stand uh, that's a callback to Alice in Wonderland. Who are you? So let's pause right here. Jenna. What did you think of uh, Tilly? What did you think of Rogers believing Tilly? What did you think of the little Robin Hood shout out? And what did you think of no one knowing Tilly in Hyperion Heights? Oh, thank you. I have a lot to say on this. Um, first, I think Tilly works so much better in this episode than she worked in the previous episode because, you know, there's murder charges. She appeared before this dead body holding a scalpel. There's fear to her like, on top of her usual madness, and she's potentially off her pills based off, based off the potential theories from last episode. So, for one thing, Tilly works so much better in this episode. Um, Roger's un, unwavering faith is fantastic, and I love that there's kind of, like, this little contrast where, like, all it took was a decent amount of evidence for Rogers to turn on Eloise and stop believing her. And with Tilly, it was just, like, Dude, you could be look you could look like a murderer holding a freaking scalpel and I'm still going to believe in you. And it ta- it speaks to like the trust that those two have formed over like such a small window of time on top of on top of the relationship they already had. So, that worked out really well. I didn't think about this until you were talking about the Robin Hood book. It's possible because this is Henry Mills, maybe because uh, Regina at one point took a copy of Robin Hood in season five from Neil's old apartment where Robin and Marion and Roland were staying. And like Rob- and I think there was like an inscription or a letter from Robin in there. So it's possible that that book could be Hen- could be Robin's copy of Robin Hood. It, it is. 
It, it I, is? Oh, I went back and checked from the past Oh, that's episodes. amazing. It's oh the same God, book. Amazing. Um, Listeners, yeah. we have an amazing research department here at Storybook Weekly Mirror. I'm just saying. Go Heather! <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, going yes, back- you get an extra uh, slice of meatloaf at Granny's when we head back to Storybrooke. I'll take it. Nice. Well, until we get back there, one thing that I find interesting is that Rogers went to the Roland Bayou, and I think that was a smart choice because if they had Tilly go to the Roland Bayou, like, it wouldn't have worked with the whole not with nobody seeing her unless they tried to make, like, Sabine, cast Sabine in a negative light in that episode. But I kind of like how we get to see her through just the regular people in Hyperion Heights point of view. And those moments just seeing that, like, all that faith she puts in other people just to have it not work out for her, not to have not to have a friendly face that recognizes her. It's it's again really heartbreaking and again a testament to Rose Reynolds' brilliant acting in this episode because some of it is dialogue based, but as she's walking through the town right before Henry and Rogers uh, grab her as she's walking through the streets you get this look as she's just walking by these faces and she knows all their names, but they don't know hers. It's just wonderfully tragic. (sighs) Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that this sort of explains why someone like Regina hasn't like specifically sought out Alice in Hyperion Heights. It makes sense that... You know, maybe she hasn't seen her and that kind of thing. She doesn't. She doesn't know that she's there because. But maybe... she does. Pardon? Does she? No, because remember, a few episodes ago, she had she told Rogers to go back to Tilly and uh, to to reconcile after the Eloise Gardner stuff. Okay, so now I'm confused as to why Regina hasn't sought out Alice. Um, maybe because she knows about the medicine medication stuff, and she's like, okay, Tilly. Tilly gets a little unhinged when she's off her when she's off her medicine. Well, or... no, because she's a, she's awake now, so she would know Tilly as Alice. I'm still no. confused as to why all of these people, if they know that Tilly is Alice and that Alice has uh, magical abilities, why they haven't like waken do, her well, up. Do they know that she has magic? Because so far, just Robin. Knows I think she does. Things. Like in the very first scene, like on the internet. People last night, or not last night, a couple nights ago were freaking out. Oh my gosh, Alice has magic. If you go back and look back at the premiere of this season, she obviously has magic because she tied Henry up to a wall with vines. Like, she was magical then, you know, back when I thought she was a dark one. Uh, So, I don't know why people were all of a sudden, like, mind blown that Alice has magic. But wait, yeah. you know, we never really saw her use magic. We saw her use, like, Wonderland stuff, because at that point, Alice didn't know that she had magic. She tied Henry up to the wall with vines, and it that was not like, Wonderland stuff. It could have just been, like, crazy plants that obey your commands. No, that was magic. I like how you're trying <laughs> to explain it away, but that was clearly because magic. Because at that point, Alice didn't know she had magic. There has to be another explanation. How she did not? How to- did she not know that she had magic? Huh. I don't know, maybe Rumple like, gave her, like, something that let her control the plants, because that day she met Rumple, and Rumple pretty, is, was probably the reason that Alice went all crazy on Henry in the first place, so he could have been like, hey, 
do this, tie them up with Vot. You can tie them up with Vines. Here's something that'll let you control them for a little bit. Just make sure that Henry goes back and you can use whatever you want. I appreciate the theories, but I don't buy it. She had magic. So <laughs> that's how, <laughs> that's how I'm going to take it. She had magic. So, yeah, so internet, I don't know... Go back and watch the premiere because she obviously had magic then. So don't be surprised that she had magic. So yeah, that's the only the only thing that bugs me about Tilly is the fact that these people that are awake aren't waking her up. That's the only thing that kind of bugs me about the situation because whether or not they know she has magic, she's obviously an asset. She's someone who has traveled realms. She has uh, knowledge of things, you know, and, and whatnot because of her travels. So it is a little weird that, in particular, Weaver hasn't, uh, you know, told her, you know, you need to stop taking your pills, stop eating those sandwiches with the crushed up pills and all that kind of stuff. You need to, uh, you know, you aren't crazy and uh, just, you know, give us a couple days while you get weaned off of the pills and you'll realize that you aren't crazy. I'm sure that there's a reason, but it's a little frustrating at the moment. Maybe they're keeping her safe from, like, the whole Gothel thing. Because we talked last week about that maybe could her be being the too. Guardian. Mm-hmm. So that would be a really good reason why Weaver would not want to wake her up. And, I mean, as far as Regina goes, she might not even know that Tilly has magic. So... Not to mention that the moment Tilly wakes up as Alice, she's going to be dead set on waking up her father and trying to find a, you know, a way for them to be able to get past the curse that they have with Henry, plus the curse of the poisoned heart. So I feel it's a matter of protecting her from Gothel, but also just protecting them from themselves. Because I feel like if Tilly is awake, she may not, maybe she doesn't have full control of her magic or whatever it is. There, there's that worry that she was so tunnel-visioned on finding a way around the Poisoned Heart Curse for so many years that if she does come awake, it, it could be more worse than it is better if it happens, you know. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't know. I get that yeah. she's kind of I unhinged. Can buy that. Oh, also emotionally, she's going to be devastated if she's awake and Rogers is in and, like, you know, she can yeah. talk with him and hug him and shit, but it's like, well, he's just he's just like, okay, this is way too close for comfort, like emotionally to help her out. Okay, I can dig that. All right, so continuing on the story, so uh, Tilly ends up finding her backpack, which had been lost uh, when she sort of is found once again by rogers and henry and she's like well this this proves that i was here you know because i lost it and and it is here where i was uh yesterday and so they end up opening it at henry's apartment and she discovers the locks of hair that the murderer the serial killer has been uh you know chopping off of uh, their victim and so Tilly's confused and uh, you know she's like this can't be I don't remember but what if I don't remember it means that I am a murderer and so she runs off and she heads on back to the troll statue which she uh, has frequented ever since we met Tilly and she talks to it and she's like you know maybe it's best that I leave uh Hyperion Heights, because uh, I know everyone, and no one knows me, and no one will miss me. And so she almost gets hit by a car when she's rescued by a woman named Margot, a.k.a. 
Robin, Nobbin. And so uh, she thanks her, and, and uh, you know, she, she tells her about uh, what's going on with her and why she was talking to the statue. And Margot is basically like, you know, I thought running away was uh, a good idea as well. It turns out it isn't. And uh, Tilly notices that Margot's reading a book. She's like, what? what's that book? And Margot's like, Alice in Wonderland. And uh, Margot tells her that it's one of her favorites. And so Rogers finds Tilly, and uh, Rogers is like, you know, you're going to have to turn yourself in. It's that time. I'll figure out, you know, this is out of the other. But they end up discovering that the eye of uh, the troll statue has a surveillance camera hidden inside it. And so once they look at the footage, there it is. Uh, Tilly has her alibi. She was exactly, you know, at the troll statue at 3.20 the previous day. And so uh, the the statue was able to give her an alibi. And when Tilly returns to her place, Rogers stops by and basically tells her, you know, you shouldn't stay here. You know, you don't have a proper lock here and there's a murder out there and apparently they're trying to frame you. So why don't you come and stay at my place for a little while? And Tilly agrees. So let's talk about this storyline. Vinny, what did you think of Margot and Tilly meeting in Hyperion Heights as well as Tilly's alibi? So I love the way that they meet each other. I think it was an excellent accident. I think it was perfectly in line with kind of how they originally met, where, you know, she was looking for her father, and Robin just accidentally, probably not accidentally, but Robin came across her. And it's a, it's like a, an, a mirrored opposite. You know, when Robin first met her, she was more like, I'm going to hurt you because I don't know who you are. This is the other half, you know, a, a different side of Robin. This Margot character is one, oh my God, someone's in danger. I'm going to you know, reach out to this total stranger and grab them and save them. It, it's interesting to see Margot versus Robin as far as personality-wise. Margot is more open, more emotionally available, I think, than Robin was initially. And Tilly is just completely at a loss. You know, she's at this point of desperation where I need something, I need help. And at first I was like, oh, that's really cool that there is an alibi for her. And then I realized the alibi, I think, is her magic. I think that she created her own alibi. Oh, okay. Because they did say that it was, like, it was installed recently. So you think that maybe she somehow magicked it uh, and, you know, they just think that it was installed recently, maybe? I think so. I think, because if, I mean, I have to go back and watch it a second time, but I believe when they show the surveillance footage, there's like this otherworldly kind of look to Alice in the, or Tilly, in the, in the footage. I don't know. Almost like it was transposed onto a layer of something. So it's almost like her magic, even though she's asleep, still works to her wanting something so bad she makes it happen. Hmm. Intriguing. Yes. Very intriguing. That's, yeah, that's kind of what I got from it. Heather. Tilly, uh, Rogers, Roomies, what do you think? <laughs> I like it. I was um I was I was wondering I, because I was wondering when that was going to happen at some point because I feel like um I don't know why that's something that I predicted would happen within my own mind, but I was like, man, they're going to have to move in together at Hyperion Heights, and then it can be dad and daughter, it can be great. 
Um, but I was just like, yeah, I, to me, it was only a matter of time for that happened. And it was great to see them, uh, to see him take that step to offer it. And to where he is showing that even though he is cursed, he's recognizing something within her that is still his daughter. And something within him is resonating about how badly he wants to be able to be with her mm-hmm. and have and a relationship her. with her and protect her. So I loved it. It was cute. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. Any final thoughts on this storyline before we move into the final storyline of the episode? Thank God she's finally out of that freaking shipping container. I know. That's got to be like right. really hot, right? Because like, oh, it has no windows and I'm going to assume. Oh, we got her out of there. Yeah, the ventilation probably is horrible. Pretty cool little place, though. But where oh, do it you, is cool. Where do you bathe? I mean, though? if you're Alice and you live in Hyperion Heights, where else are you supposed to live? In a shipping crate. Wait, I just had a thought, <laughs> no. guys. The shipping container is kind of like, well, I mean, it's to a much lesser degree. It's kind of Alice's tower, and we get two versions. We get the version where Alice saves herself. We also kind of get a version where rogers or killian saves alice like i don't know you kind of get that that cuteness like we always kind of wanted killian to save alice and in this way we kind of get it that is cool okay i can dig that um i did want to make like one quick little mention about which is is so left field but uh henry henry's wardrobe have you guys noticed that, like, the further they get along, the closer they get to breaking the curse, the more he starts dressing like Henry Henry, the one that we know, like yep. the overcoats and the scarves? And I love that. Every time I see him in the overcoat and the scarf, I'm like, oh, Henry's back. Thank goodness. So I just wanted to mention that and see if you guys have noticed. Yeah, I noticed it last time. This is most recent episode. It was like, oh, wait, this is reminding me more of Jared Gilmore. I'll be honest, I had not. So, I'll, you know, it gives me a chance to, or the reason, I should say, to go back and watch it again, which uh, it was a great episode, so uh, I don't mm-hmm. mind. So let's move into uh, the final storyline of the episode, and it starts off with Regina and Lucy with walkie-talkies, you know, ma- basically making plans to, uh, you know, do Operation Hyacinth. And uh, Lucy immediately is not down with the walkie-talkies. She recommends texting instead. And so that's what they do. And uh, Regina ends up sharing with um, Lucy that she knows uh, Mr. Samdi. And Lucy immediately recognizes him as Dr. Facilier, which I thought... That moment struck me as weird. Uh, I wasn't... Um, uh, that It surprised me. And uh, she also tells Lucy that, uh, you know, keep this information to yourself and this, that, or the other. Don't tell Zelina. And Zelina, Zelina starts to get suspicious because she hears her name. That Don't tell Zelina what. And so Regina ends up asking Samdi out on a date so that Lucy can break into uh, his uh, apartment and look for clues as to what he's up to in Hyperion Heights. And so they go out, they grab something to eat, uh, they they don't go to Bellanote, they grab some clam chowder, and they walk on the waterfront, and just as Samdi is about to tell Regina something, Zelina 
ruins it all and uh, confronts Regina. You know, what are you doing? He called you Regina. He is, he's not cursed. What's going on? Uh, Sam has this great moment where he calls her Kelly and she's like, you know who I am. And, uh, you know, it prompts Sam D to uh, basically allow the sisters to discuss this amongst themselves, especially after Regina's like, I can see who I want to see, damn it. And so when Sam D leaves, Regina fills Zelina on what's going on, that uh, she agreed to the date or she asked him out so that... Uh, Lucy can uh, search through his apartment, and so Regina immediately calls and texts Lucy to let her know that she needs to get out before Sam D returns. And uh, after some time, Lucy does see the text. She snaps a picture of some tarot cards, and she is able to escape before Sam D catches her. So I'm going to pause right here. And I want to break some of this down before we get into the rest of the storyline. Uh, Vinny, what did you think of Zelina in this episode? And were you surprised that Regina didn't uh, fill Zelina in on her plan? You know, I, I would love to say that I'm surprised she didn't fill Zelina in, but it's Regina and old habits are hard to break. You know, she wants to do something, and she's doing this with Lucy. She she knew that if she told Zelina, Zelina was going to be like, oh, that's that's a dumb idea. Let's bring in your granddaughter to be the bait, or to be the, not the bait, but the, the one who's, like, actually going into the lion's den. So it didn't surprise me in the least. I think that these sisters are always going to have an interesting relationship in the sense of things that they don't tell each other for fear of judgment or retaliation. And in this case, Regina knew what the answer would be, and so she just wanted to keep it, you know, as secret as long as possible. As far as Elena herself, I have to give her credit. She could have stayed blind, but right from the very moment that this happened, the way that Rebecca made her play this was, yeah, she knows. You know, even with the subtle smile that immediately when they were gone turned into a serious look at the bar you, you could tell yeah Zelina knows and she's not going to sit idly by and let this happen so I was not surprised when she bulldozed over her sister's plans and completely just confronted Facilier and uh, Regina on their date and was like oh he's awake and I want to know what's going on you know she's, she's in kind of like the mother hen mode feeling like she's got to protect Regina from making a stupid mistake for a man that she has feelings for. Uh, so I think it was very on par with the characters that we've seen far. I think it was a very Zelina thing to do. And I love the fact that there was almost kind of like this three stooges feeling to it, you know, like Lucy in the apartment trying to hide while gathering and taking stuff and, you know, Zelina just barreling up. And I, I almost just would have loved to have seen like that moment where like she bops Regina upside the head like the Stooges used to do. And then Zelina hits her or Regina hits her in the eyes because that's kind of what it felt like, you know, when they were talking about the fact that they shouldn't have hidden anything from each other. It was this like stupid thing. They need to stop being so childish. So I, I really liked it. And I hope that we can all agree, Lucy is no Henry Mills. I'm just no. saying, because, no. like, it just made me laugh. Like, the fact that it took her, like, the whole damn time to, like, discover the tarot cards. I'm like, really, girl? 
Well, even then, they like, had the clam chowder, and they were walking on the waterfront, and it wasn't until the end that she notices, oh, there's some tarot cards here. Let me snap a picture. <laughs> and also the fact that it was her idea to use the phone, and she didn't even put it on, uh, you know, maybe you don't have to have it on-on, but, like, at least so that it can chirp when you get a text or something. I'm like, come on, Lucy. And she rejected yeah, she the walkie-talkies. I know. That's just wrong. <laughs> well, she's not a millennial. She's uh, Generation Z. Gen- oh, yeah. Gen Zers. The Gen Zers. Well, and I just found it funny. And oh my God, tarot cards. <gasps> the death card. <laughs> I was like, really? That's that's you. You know who he is. We know that he's probably awake. So why are you so surprised that he has the tarot cards? And the death card signifies a new beginning. Ooh. Mm. Well, excuse that's me. Yeah, it's kind of death and rebirth, and the and the death card itself, you know, means the end of something and the beginning of something new. That's and then the fool is the next card, kind of out of that. So, it, it was weird that they used this as like a really obvious MacGuffin, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And I was sad that it was so cliched because that's been something that's been done in movies and TVs over the years for a long time, and it's it never means what they try to make you think it means. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, continuing on with the story. So Regina obviously gets the picture and later on Samdy visits Ronnie's and uh, basically fills her in on the fact that he knew exactly what was going on. No, he didn't find the tape on the door. Uh, He found, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, A scully type of thing? A boggin? A boggin. Is that what you call it? The knit hat? We call it a boggin. Oh, okay. I, I'm from a state in which it's always warm, so <laughs> we don't really use that kind of stuff. So a boggin, a knit hat, whatever you want to call it, that uh, that Lucy left in his apartment. So he knew that Lucy was in there, and uh, Sam D is basically like, you know, you could have just asked, you know, I would have told you. And so she wants to know, you know, what's going on? What's up with the cards? What's up with uh, what's going on? You know, what's the deal, basically? And so he starts talking about her and her future and love in her life. And, uh, you know, he he basically is like, you know, what are you going to choose? And um, he explains that what he's looking for is the Dark One dagger. And uh, Regina's like, you know, Rumple is one of my oldest friends. Uh, you know, this isn't going to end well. You know, I'm not going to just uh, let you kill him. And so Facilier basically ends up saying something to the gist of, you know, maybe you can have it all. Maybe it doesn't have to be just one way. And, uh, you know, he... He's like, you know, maybe you can figure out a way to have it all. And so when he leaves, Zelina and Regina end up having a heart-to-heart about the entire situation. And uh, Regina basically confesses to Zelina what Facilier told her, as well as the fact that Regina still has feelings for Facilier, even after he, she found out um, the truth about you know what he's looking for and what he's doing. And so, as they're sharing a moment together, bonding as sisters, Zelina's daughter, Margot, slash Robin, arrives at the bar, and uh, 
the mother and daughter duo reunite. She goes off to freshen up, and uh, Zelina's like, I don't know how you do it. I can't believe, you know, I had to uh, lie to her, to her face about who we really are. And uh, Regina's like, you know, welcome to the club, sis. So, let's talk about this. Uh, Jenna. Regina and Facilier. What do you think of them? I I know you're a fan of Shadow Queen. So, what did you think of the development uh, between them throughout the episode? And how did you interpret what Facilier was saying? You know, was he basically telling her that... uh, Maybe he's hopeful that she will stop him. What did you gather from that conversation? Because he did say, you know, maybe you can have it all. The love as well as stopping him. Or what did you think? What do you think that means? I was uh, a little oh. confused about the whole situation because it almost sounded like Facilier wanted to lose in what he's trying to do. Okay, well, I think, honestly, I don't think uh, Facilier is trying to kill Rumble. The way that, like, when she... I don't think so either. I feel like that's, Rumble, uh, oh, that's a red herring, completely. He, oh, he dodged that like a bullet. So, I kind of like the fact that Dr. Facilier is kind of challenging Regina to kind of go for things, but to go for them on her terms. So, what exactly that means for them is still up in the air, and that's why I love this relationship. It's very compelling. There's a mystery to the romance, whereas even, like, the romances this season that are really compelling, like, well, what we saw today with Robin and Alice, there was, like, there are mysteries how they met and, like, why they became a couple, but here it's, like, there's still the mystery, are they going to become a couple, what do these two people want, how, why do they have this romance, and every little bit that we get is just the greatest foreplay for it. Um, so, Facilier's still up in the air. I'm not, even after this episode, I gotta say, I'm not even 100% convinced he's evil anymore. Like, definitely dark, but almost, but less in a, less in a traditional comical villain. Less gothel, more like, more season one, or season one, almost season seven rumple. Like, a merge between those two rumples. Um, yeah, it's like, Whatever his motivations are, whatever his goals are, it's a mystery, but I'm not entirely sure it's as dark as anyone thinks it is. And he even admits he can't read her. He's not, like, menace. He's not being menacing towards her. He's being coy. So what he wants is... What he wants is up in the air. And just the way that he talks, it makes it seem like there's a bit more going on. Maybe he knows her steps both a little better and a little worse than Regina expects. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I don't feel like he's as sinister as we think, in my opinion, especially when it comes to Regina. I'm digging their chemistry. I think it's ridiculous. Oh, it is. Oh, it's like on fire. That whole date, the whole introduction of the date, how he's willing to cancel everything he has going on. And for all we know... That could have been, like, bad guy stuff. Stuff with Drew going on, and he's canceling it, like, no, I gotta spend some time with this beautiful lady. (sighs) I really like them. I can't wait to see more. (sighs) Shadow Queen forever. Oh, wow. All right. I like that. I'm on board. 
She's on the Shadow Queen train. I actually got a Dr. Facilier Funko the other day at Toys R Us, and it's sitting next to Regina, and I'm just, I love it. That's adorable. Heather, what did you think of the reunion between mother and daughter? I liked it. I know um, we only I... got a little bit of it. Yeah. It was a really quick, yeah, it was a very fast reunion for them to have not seen each other for that that long. Um, I actually enjoyed Robin this episode. I had the the last episode that focused solely on her. Was that that was the first one back? I I, I had some issues with Robin. I wasn't sure that I, I liked her. I didn't know how I felt about her. But in this episode, I, I really she she changed my mind and she redeemed herself. She's still very headstrong and uh, capricious and all of that, but I like her now. And so to see her and Zelina. Coming back together, it's cute, it's adorable. I liked it. Jenna and I are on the Shadow Queen train. How do both of you feel about uh, Regina's new love interest? What do you think of uh, Shadow Queen? Do you remember those westerns when they show the guy that's sitting next to the train tracks with the plunger he's waiting to push down to blow up the train? (laughs) That's me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i just i don't like it i want i i wanted to i really did and i gave it a shot i just there's something about regina and facilier that just falls flat for me i i i get that the actors have chemistry and i definitely agree in that regard but i just don't like regina that character being in a relationship with facilier it I, I have to see the story. I need I need to see how they got where they are because right now it feels so forced for me. It just feels like, oh, we need to give Regina uh, another love interest. Oh, this is going to be, you know, uh, the the last half of the season. We only have this many episodes, so let's economize and you know do it with Doctor Facilier. I I just I need to get the psychology behind it before I can be on board. But right now I don't like it. Well, you're wrong. With- Oh, you're wrong, too. <laughs> I agree with Vinny. <laughs> 100%-like, I, I like both of the characters so much, and I was really excited when I first heard that that was going to be a, a, a pairing, but I don't yep. know how I feel about it yet. I'm, I'm going to need the backstory behind that one. Okay, I can understand that completely. I do need the backstory as well, but I'm very happy with what we've seen thus far, especially since they've turned Facilier a little bit more into a villain in the gray versus, uh, you know, a straight up villain like Gothel, per se. Uh, I find him much more interesting that way. And also, if they are going to redeem him because, you know, the series is coming to an end and this is Regina's love, you know, I'm going to assume that they will be together through the series finale and beyond, they're going to have to redeem him. And I need someone that can be redeemable for Regina just because I want to see her happy, damn it. You know, she hasn't had love in her life or even, you know, a good love in her life for a long time. So uh, I'm really excited by what we've seen thus far, and I'm very curious to see where it goes. So before we get into uh, the MVP... I do have a question, and I've asked this question, I feel like, every week since they've dropped this storyline thread into our laps. Who's the serial killer? 
Like, has your mind at all changed? What do you think? My guess was Robin, just because I felt like it was such an, an out-of-the-blue type of thing that it made sense. But after seeing her in this episode, I I don't feel like it's her anymore. I don't think it's Margot. So, who's the serial killer? When are we going to see the serial killer? Uh, do you think it's going to be revealed within the next episode or two? I sort of keep on going back to that quote in my mind from Adam and Eddie in which they said, we're going to reveal it sooner than you think. And it's like five episodes later and we still don't right. know who the fuck the freaking uh, <laughs> serial killer is. But I am leaning towards, for some weird reason, uh, I believe it was Vinny that said it last time, Mother Gothel. Uh, I just think it kind of makes sense, almost, because it's it feels like it's something weird that she would do. I don't know, and I believe maybe it was Jenna that said, you know, her theory was that maybe she was going to use Dr. Facilier in some sort of nefarious way. I feel like Gothel and Facilier might have teamed up or might even be teamed up. I don't know if it has to deal with... Uh, maybe raising the the witches or that kind of stuff or speaking to them from the dead. I don't know if it's going to go that far, but I do feel like maybe Gothel might be killing the witches. I kind of feel like it can't be Facilier anymore either. And obviously it's not Tilly, you know, doing it in some sort of fugue state. So I'm kind of agreeing with the consensus, or at least I think Vinny said it and Jenna Cosine maybe where it's, Gothel, maybe. I don't know. I'm what do you all think? I still it's Gothel. Think it's oh, okay. Gothel and Facilier working together. I still kind of... My actual thing was I think it's someone in under the control of someone else. Because I still don't... With my thoughts earlier on Alice's magic potentially being what created that camera. It, it just... I still feel it. Like, because when she was asked where she was, she's like, oh, I don't know. I don't remember. And she tries to remember. There's just, I, I still feel like Tilly has some kind of a role. Um, but at the same time, the hair was cut. And I thought originally the hair was cut to be like maybe potentially a voodoo thing. But now it seems like the hair was cut to be specifically planted as evidence to frame Tilly. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of, I, I, I'm leaning more towards thinking that it's either someone in direct opposition to Gothel, like 100% does not want her to succeed perhaps one of the witches or Gothel herself, because we're kind of running out of suspects. That is true. And mm -hmm. uh, to answer what you were saying, maybe, I think that Alice is off her meds, even though they haven't said it. And the reason why I think Alice is off her meds is because as she was sort of discussing, like, I can't remember, she said a line, and I don't remember what it is word for word right now, but she said something to the gist of, it feels like I have two sets of memories or something oh, like that. Oh, two puzzles go, two puzzles in the same two. box. Yeah. There you go, yes. which uh, which I took as meaning like I have two sets of memories, and so I think she's slowly starting to wake up. I don't know if she hasn't taken her pills, or maybe, maybe I don't know. I feel like she hasn't taken her pills, just because she was so weird in the previous episode, and in this one she was a little manic-y as well, but not as bad as in the previous episode. So maybe she isn't taking her pills, and maybe either she... She isn't taking her pills, and she's starting to slowly wake up in a much more slow manner, as opposed to when she went batshit crazy on Halloween, or as an effect of the pills, like she it like keeps her groggy enough to where you know she 
she might have like the feeling of another life, but because she already thinks she's crazy, you know, it, it, you know, she probably doesn't really believe it. And so that's why she feels like she has two sets of memories or that kind of thing. I don't know. Any other guesses on who the serial killer is? That would be interesting if it actually was something along the lines of it was her true self that's killing the witches versus her wish self waking up after it's done. Because she could hate the witches so much for everything that Gothel's done to her, her real self mm. could subconsciously be drifting through and doing this to get back at Gothel and stop what she knows Gothel's up to. She did say, like, at one point, she made the comment that it felt like she was a different person the day before. So, that's, that's important I just, that too. I can't see them making Alice a killer. And I feel like that would no. totally ruin the Guardian of it all, if she ends up being the Guardian yeah. or that kind of thing. So, any other thoughts besides, you know, the, the random lady at the fruit stand being the killer? <laughs> <laughs> Lucy! Oh, that's good. Ooh. That's a twist. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. But how would she have reached up on, like, the desks and stuff like that? She's short. How would she reach on the desks? She poisoned like, the lady you know, in her Zima or whatever the hell she was drinking. That was a tall desk. Zima. Stop judging. Yes. <laughs> that's too funny. So I guess we all agree-ish, Gothel? Yeah. 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 Okay. I think I'm that's 50, the only 50. thing that makes sense. And we all agree that Gothel and Facilier are working together. We just don't really know exactly why. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Now, Maybe. do we think Facilier is working with her in a nefarious kind of way, as in, like, he's trying to take her down, maybe? See, I would see that more than I would them working together. If they were working together, it would be out of necessity, I I I don't I want to see a scene where those two actually interact to kind of get a little bit more of a feel on the relationship there. Okay. And uh before I ask for any final thoughts, uh just one more question. When do we think we will find out the identity of the serial killer? Do we think next week, the week after? What are we thinking? I'm feeling next week. I'm feeling like the end of next week's episode. I hope so. Oh, okay. <laughs> Heather's just like, just <laughs> let it end, please. <laughs> I just want to know. Me too. I'm, oh, I'm too ready. Funny. All right, so before we get into the MVP, any final thoughts on the episode as a whole? Anything at all? Anything that I might have missed? Or any little points that you want to bring up before we head into the MVP? I like Selena's no judgment line because it's kind of like she's been there, done with. Yes, I wanted to bring that up oh, exactly. Oh. It was one hundred percent. That's how I read it. You know, I've been in the same situation with someone who, uh, you know, basically is a little nefarious and a little villainous, and, and uh, you know, I can't judge. Basically, I really, I thought that was a grown-up line for Selena. Oh, also, Regina's apology drink was an apple teeny, which is green, and it was just cute. Yeah, that was also what the evil queen made for Zelina when she was trying to yep. lure her over to the dark side. Oh, yeah, that's right. I love this. It's fantastic. 
Alright everyone, it's that time. It's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. Which character impressed you the most and why? The rules are simple. Stay which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. And if someone has already mentioned the character that you were going to choose, you must select a different one, aka no repeats. I have all the power in the world right now in my hot little hands. Who is going to go first? Should I be nice? Should I be mean? Because I feel you like... You should go first. Really? Good. No. Yeah. Go yeah. I first. never go first. Well, it, technically, because I have all the power, it is kind of unfair for me to go first. Because I could easily yeah, snatch one of your characters. Go first. go first. Go first. Do it. Wow. Do it. All right. <laughs> well, I have all the powers I get. The, the power I guess in my hot little hand, and so I will go first, based on peer pressure, listeners. Um, and my MVP for the episode is Robin. I really liked Robin this episode. I thought she did a really great job with what she was given. I liked the whole dynamic of. Uh, her not being sure of what to do with her life. I like that, you know, she was sort of like seeking popularity in Storybrooke. But then like now that she's sort of outgrown that, she was sort of doing the same thing in a different kind of way by trying to uh, sort of like live up to her father's legacy. I thought uh, they did a really great job, as Vinny mentioned earlier, of like melding Zelina and Robin's personality into young Robin and uh, having her sort of exhibit traits from both of them. And her chemistry with Alice was just phenomenal. I mean, they were spectacular together, that tender scene in the jail cell when she sort of caressed her face and, you know, that moment in the bug uh, right before it looked like they were about to kiss, but then the troll ruined everything. They were just, she was magical, and and, uh, her and Tilly were magical, or her and Alice were magical together, so I have to give kudos to Robin this episode. So... Because she made me go first, I'll have her go second. Because I feel like I know who she's going to pick. Jenna Pace. Really? Well, yeah, honestly, I, I don't even feel like being overly overly creative with this. Because um, Rose Reynolds blew me away as both Alice and Tilly. Their perform- Her performance in both worlds made me cry. She sells this loneliness, this vulnerability. She had such good lines, such good monologues and dialogues and you get this more than any other episode really is given the essence of what this character is all about her goodness her failings it's just this great hunk of tilly and we see more of her interactions with other characters we see interactions with her with inanimate objects and she still manages to sell it she manages to work off of cgi and stone it's just so impressive all the things that Alice and Tilly did. All those subtle quirks. Her relation to the tower. Her relation to her her papa that we only get to see her look through a spyglass and it tells us so much about, about their relationship. And when she's getting these happy endings, they feel so deserved. I remember squeeing as Rogers offered her a place to stay. And she, and when she realizes she's not alone anymore because she has Robin by her side, 
it was just such a cathartic, rewarding, beautiful experience with Alice and Tilly this episode, and that's why she's the MVP. I like it. I think we could all see that coming from like a mile away. Even Vinny, yeah, I mean, I at the end of the like train tracks with his plunger, uh, he could see it coming. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so because Vinny has the plunger on the train tracks, you're going to go last. That means, Heather, you can go next. Woo! <laughs> 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 Although um, you did co-sign with them, so I got my eye on you, I, Heather. Make yeah, sure you don't have don't any have plungers. I know. I, I had to make sure. Okay. She's got the remote detonator. <laughs> Vinny, don't sell me out. <laughs> huh? Um... Okay, my MVP is um, Ivy, which is so strange because she only had that one little scene, but Tilly and Robin are taken, so... Oh, there you go. Ivy. She was number three. <laughs> um, but I am... Like, she was just in that one... She just had a very small little part in this episode, and I'm so intrigued by her development over this half of the season and her sass killed when she was talking about um to henry about um he told her well maybe you should just apologize and she's like i think i'd rather just be dead that killed me it was hilarious i love the sass i love that she is she's had this very traumatic experience just here recently and from that one moment which was you know it was a big moment but from that moment she has progressed each episode and i'm really excited to see next episode um which i think is supposed to have a little bit more to do with her story i really i've really enjoyed ivy's development and i'm excited to see where it goes so she gets my mvp for the episode so we've got robin we've got alice we've got ivy Vinny, tell us why zelina is your mvp it's actually not Zelina. Oh, you boss is Dot. Guess who it is this week? Rogers. Nope. Henry. Nope. Regina. The Candy Killer. No, that does not oh. count. It does because this is a character that is almost you can feel the presence in the show. For me well, and listeners, if if you don't know what he's talking about, if you haven't read the press release for the next episode. <laughs> That's what they're calling the serial killer, the candy yes. killer, FYI. Last episode, they had the little trail that they followed of him sending out, I think it was macaroons, to his pretended victims. The, the, over the past couple, this character, even though we've only seen them for like you know a hand here and an action there, their presence is almost palpable in the sense of how some of our main characters are being drawn around by puppets on a string, or like puppets on a string. And the the impact of the incoming danger is causing them all to take action in certain ways. So it almost does feel like there's a character in certain scenes. I almost just half expect when we do find out who the killer is, we're going to see scenes that we've already seen panned around to show that killer, you know, there as well, viewing from a safe distance or watching our characters. There's just this almost like Hitchcockian feel to it that really, for me, just in this episode, especially with the impact that this case was having on Tilly and the lengths to which it was taken for Tilly to be framed, that just really, to me, was an expertly executed plan. So whoever this is, to me, they almost felt like they were in this episode, and that's why they're my MVP, this one. I'm giving you the squinty eyes right now, because I feel like this is slightly cheating, but you did sell it in a very delightful kind of way. So... Thank you. Yes. But if I had it, it would be Zelina. 
Okay. <laughs> and can I at least get a sentence as to why? Yes. Uh, Zelina was not selfish. You know, if I had to take it to a specific character, Zelina was very much demonstrating that she is not going to put up with the way that they both used to be. And she really went to bat, even though she did kind of do it kind of like she was a troll just stomping into it and being like, oh, what the hell is going on here? You know, she still had the best intentions. And that just shows how well that character has grown from how selfish she used to be and, you know, is able to accept that. Regina sometimes needs to be protected as well. All right, I like that too. Can we all agree that Rebecca Mater looked really gorgeous in this episode? I don't know what they did to her, but she was like luminous in all of her scenes. I, I really, oh, I noticed yeah. that. And I don't know oh, what yeah, the hell they put Regina in for that date because that that <laughs> Muppet <laughs> that she had around her neck. Yeah, many Muppets yeah. died for that little jacket thing i was like come on like give her her pantsuits back because i don't know what this is she did she did or a gorg (laughs) i should have gone to the trash heap yeah what'd you say jenna i said just let her walk around in the band t-shirts like she usually does as ronnie yeah i feel like dc shirt they're trying to merge regina from storybrooks clothing with ronnie's clothing and it isn't working for me. No. Mm-mm. Sorry, Regina. You usually look good, but I don't know what happened. All right, now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 apples? The point system is allowed. And if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden apple. And we'll go in uh, reverse order. So that means, Vinny, you may go first. I'm going to give it a 10, a solid 10 across the board for me. I did not have any significant complaints about this episode. If you guys didn't notice, I really didn't have too much, if anything. I I loved it. This was one of the most solid episodes that I, I felt has been there for a while. We got a lot of character advancement and backstory and development, and we really finally got to see the story for Tilly, which is something that I've been waiting to see how she went from you know being stuck in the tower to being the girl that's in Hyperion Heights now. So we had a lot of that bridged, and it was just so well done and so well played. The acting was phenomenal in this episode. Everybody brought their A-game, and we had such a little bit of advancement with the murder mystery plot that it, you know, it brought Tilly and Rogers together. So it, I did not really have any significant complaints about this episode at all, and I really, really enjoyed it. And so I think it deserves a 10. All right. Vinny set the bar high with a 10. Heather, what about you? How would you rate this episode? I'm going to agree with Vinny and give it a 10. It was... I, I, I'm like Vinny. I didn't have anything to nitpick on. Any time that I had a question, the first time I watched it, I had a couple of questions that I didn't really understand. And when I went back and watched it the second time, paying closer attention, all my questions were answered. And usually when that happens, I'm like, that's a good episode. It feels like quintessential season one, season two, once upon a time. It feels like they're really going back to their roots and taking time to explain smaller plot points and bigger plot points. Like, they gave a story to the Dagdom Rock Troll, and that's awesome. That's so season one, and, and I loved it. It was amazing. So, 10 for 10. We've got one 10. We've got two 10s. Jenna Pace. 
Are you I'm on the 10 train, the... or are you going to go your Ooh. own way? Um, I am going Golden Apple, which I guess is a 10. I would give No, it Golden, Golden Apple is more than a 10. Okay, I'm giving it a Golden Apple. It's my favorite episode of the season. It beat out Wake Up Call, and I think that even in, like, my top of the series, like, this would probably even make it into the top ten. And that's Ooh. going up against a lot of really fantastic episodes. I love the character development here. Um, as everybody stated, it's a very solid episode. It has story development, character development. They took these characters and gave them even more life than they already had. And that's saying a lot for characters that are already fairly well-established, like Tilly... And even, like, they even personify things like the rock troll, like Tether pointed out, and give a bit more dimension and age and agency to Robin. It's just phenomenal. It, it, felt, it felt good. It was like chicken soup in, an, in, the, in the form of an episode. I loved it. Now I want some chicken soup. Right. Basically. Okay, so I agree with someone, and that person is not Jenna Pace. I'm going to give Aww. it a 10. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was see, I see what you did there, because you didn't say someone's. You said uh -huh. someone's. You made us think it was Jenna. I know. It was, uh, it was the old boy. switcheroo. You pulled a freaking <laughs> I did. I learned from the voodoo master. But I will say this, honestly, like, when I watched the episode, I was probably leaning more towards the 9, 9.5 range, but you all talked me up in a good way. So this was peer pressure in a positive way, because through all of you, I, I sort of uh, got a, uh, an even better, a greater appreciation for the episode just talking about it with all of you. And so I'm bumping it up to a solid 10. I thought it was a really great episode. Uh, I think the only thing that really bugged me about it was uh, Lucy, sorry, but like her <laughs> and the phone and like taking forever and like not paying attention to the phone and that kind of thing. You're the one that brought up the phone. So that was the only thing that brought it down a little bit for me, but I'm going to overlook that because everything else was really strong. I loved the flashback. I loved the present day stuff. I really liked seeing the relationship between Tilly and Rogers grow. I liked, I liked seeing Margot with Tilly in the present day Hyperion Heights. Personally speaking, I really liked the whole Facilia and Regina stuff. I also liked what we saw between the sisters, as well as Ivy and Henry. There was just a lot to really enjoy in the episode. It is a shame that, at least in my opinion, I feel like they chopped some of Ivy's storyline from this episode. And uh, I hope that we get to see some deleted scenes and that kind of thing over on the DVD slash Blu-ray because I'm sure that they had some more stuff just based on the press release. If not, uh, shame on you, person who wrote the press release for this episode, because you uh, put in a line about stuff that wasn't in it. But, right. I, I know. Other than that, though, it was an incredibly strong episode, so I agree, I'm going to give it a solid 10. So on that note... Join us next time for a brand new installment of Storybook Weekly Mirror. Once again, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash storybrookweeklymirror. Follow us on Tumblr, storybrookweeklymirror.tumblr.com. 
Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, and YouTube at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychularadio. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Storybrooke Weekly Mirror and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night. Good night. Night, everyone. Bon oui, mes amis. I like you it. just had to up the ante. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very, uh, <laughs> the mere of you. Au revoir, mon petits. <laughs> I can do it, too. I approve. <sighs> Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Storybrooke Weekly Mirror every Tuesday and Wednesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chulo Radio Archives. Our Tuesday show is our episode discussion, and our Wednesday show is our special spoiler edition of Storybrooke Weekly Mirror. Good night.